Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hi, this is Matt Harrigan here with the Adult Swim Podcast, bringing you conversations about Adult Swim topics that may be of interest. On this week's episode, I'm talking to Tim Heidecker. When I get up, all I want to do is go to bed again. the Beatles. Oh, you don't? Not really. I know you like them. You think they're funny. <laughs> I think they're geniuses. They are funny, though, too. It's. I think it's a better story than the story of Jesus Christ, the Beatles. The Beatles? Yeah. If you say Jesus Christ is the greatest story ever told. Second greatest. <laughs> yeah. Which which Beatles story is so great? Oh, the whole thing. The rise I mean, of them? The rise, the uh-huh. fall. Yeah. Thank you for coming on the Adult Swim podcast. Yes, my home away from home. Mm-hmm. Uh, my voice is a little deep today. This finds us here in Atlanta at the Variety Playhouse uh, shortly before On Cinema Live. Tell us about how you connected with Bob Odenkirk and and your entry into adult film. I know the story, but I'm asking that for sure. you to tell other people. Sure. Stories. Stories. Um well, it's a it's a little bit of a long and winding road. So, but Ugh. you know, <laughs> we um, got we, Eric and I were making stuff together for, for in college, and then after college, we continued to make stuff together, and we were making them sort of as little art films that we thought were funny, but or sort of making fun of art films. And one of them was uh, our original Tom Goes to the Mayor short. Um, and we had made some other things and, and some little animations and little s- sketches, I guess. And we had amassed sort of like 15 minutes worth of stuff. And we had screened them for, for friends and at like rock shows and stuff. And we just felt a little motivated to see what we could do with this. We were, uh, I was, aw- I think we were aware of, um, I do recall I was living in New York and I remember seeing sort of the first ad push from Adult Swim. Like I remember seeing a bus like or a subway ad. So we were kind of aware of Adult Swim as a thing and felt that it kind of fit into our sensibility a little bit. Um, and I was working in New York as a office assistant and um, I wasn't really doing my job too much. I was kind of texting with Eric a lot and writing stuff with him and and also pursuing music and making and you know playing shows in the city and um anyways i was using the office facilities where i was working to to try to make some kind of inroad into the entertainment industry um and one of the uh one of my ideas was we were also fans of mr show and was to try to track down odenkirk uh somehow partly because we were fans of both of them, but at the time, David Cross was really like the hot, um, hot guy in in on the scene. You know, his stand up kind of was blowing up, and he was very much seen as he was on Arrested Development, I think. And so, and we were kind of maybe leaned a little bit towards Bob anyway, but we thought, well, maybe Bob would be more receptive to material 
um, not really knowing anything about him personally. Cross being too hot to touch. Too hot. Yeah. Let's go for the underdog. That was, I think, our thinking. But so anyways, I, you know, tracked down the production company that made Mr. Show uh, through some internet searches, found that they didn't have a connection to Bob, but uh, they put me in touch with his office. I got his address. And Eric and I sent a uh, sent uh, our DVD with some headshots that were very stupid, very you know, uh, over the top, ridiculous headshots, funny headshots, funny headshots, and an invoice for all the materials, including shipping and handling. And he, how much was the invoice for? Do you recall? Uh, it was fifty something dollars. I think mm-hmm. it was something reasonable. It was, it was accurate. You know, it wasn't like a million dollars. Um, that wasn't the joke. That wasn't the joke. The joke wasn't the price of, <laughs> of the materials. It was the idea of charging him for it. Um, so he, that was going on. He, he thought that was very funny. And, um, I think he, uh, he called me cause my number was on the letter. He called me out of the blue and was, and I was at work and I was like, you know, blown away. Thought it was a prank and it's Bob. And he's sort of just like, hi, I got this thing. It's hilarious. I'm watching it right now. Who are you guys? You know, where did you come from? Who do you know? What's, Were you prepared what? for that? No, I just, we had just sent it off into the darkness, not expecting any kind of reply, but it, I think around the same time, I know around the same time, I don't know if it was right before or right after this, Adult Swim was doing a lot of sort of events in cities. Eric went to one of these events. He, he, we were carrying around our DVDs that were well-made with a cover, with our contact information. Not just information. the paper sleeve. Not just like, sorry, you made this piece of shit, man. It sucks. Mm-hmm. But, and Eric, sorry to interrupt, is so aggressively tall. I don't know if aggressively tall, but he's tall. Yeah, I mean he's a he's a presence, even yeah. you know, and he uh, he's cool looking and stuff. And I think he is maybe cool looking. <laughs> he was very always cool looking. And uh, the tape got the DVD got to Dave Hughes, who's the creator, one of the creators of uh, Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Dave right? Willis. Dave Willis. Dave Willis, not Dave Hughes. Yeah, Dave, Hughes Dave Hughes off the air. Dave uh, Willis uh, received it. I don't know the story exactly from there, but I believe he didn't react positively to it originally, which is fine. And I can totally understand that. I don't know if I, you know, I can totally understand not not getting something right away or whatever. But he passed it on to a woman's Khaki Jones. Khaki Jones. And Khaki Jones, who was a Cartoon Network executive of some type yes at the time um she also contacted me because i guess i was the contact person i was the administrative assistant for Your tim phone and eric. was just it was ringing off the hook and she wrote i think she might have emailed me but said had uh, dave uh, dave willis got me this dvd i think it's really funny you should you should let mike lazo see it you know or something like that i want to show it to mike lazo can you write up some some ideas and some pitches and stuff. So this was all happening while Bob was also talking to us. Um, it's all within like the course of six months where where there was like this little spark of interest from the entertainment industry, quote unquote, around our stuff. And one thing led to another, another um, where we wrote up like few ideas, one of them being Tom Goes to the Mayor. And they were kind of presented, I think Khaki wanted us to present them to Mike as interstitials as little small in-between shows and 
Mike um, called me and said, I think that Tom Goes to the Mayor is, uh, could be a, a show, could be a, a, an actual show. And we were like, holy shit. Okay. What does that mean? You know? And then they, it kind of moved quickly, pretty quickly from there where we got an offer to develop it as a pilot. And then it moved on to make, we just kind of, it's cheaper to just make it as a series. And and, and then Bob was kind of counseling us. He was kind of acting as our manager slash agent the whole time, giving us advice and, um, agree, you know, sort of suggested, well, we, I can produce it so that you, we can, I can help you get it, get it all, you know, make all this stuff actually happen. And, and that's how it kind of got kicked off. See, his uh, legitimacy, his um, stature, st- stature in the comedy world. Yeah, I mean, it was just like it was a it was it created a safe, uh, you know, it, it was a little bit of insurance for Mike and Adult Swim and everybody to be like, okay, these guys are with a, an established uh, comedian, established. Um, you know, a person that can at least make sure that these guys don't totally go off the rails here. But maybe Khaki is the most instrumental person in this story, because I do remember that there was some resistance to that DVD, but I feel like Khaki was absolutely a champion. Yeah. And that that's really remarkable because it's very primordial stuff. It's not all there yet. Yeah. I don't think. Humpers, yes. I mean, I, I, it's good, but it it definitely feels like you know we got better, and that it's it's not everybody that can see something like early and not really formed yet and think that there's potential there. A lot of that stuff was very spontaneous and not very thought out. Not very, you know, d- we didn't debate much about w- whether we should do it or not. We just kind of looked at these uh, video projects as like kind of recreational activities that we would do to instead of i don't know you know playing video games or something you'd go out and fuck around in the park yeah we'd just go camera. shoot a bunch of stuff and then eric would take it you know he was shooting and editing uh like uh, events and weddings and stuff and so he had he was kind of learning how to edit and learning how to use some of the equipment he had so it was kind of started from that and and then you know we just thought well this is um a little connected to like what we love about Mr. Show and what we love about Monty Python and that kind of stuff. But it feels a little, it feels like it's our own little thing. So we kind of started uh, like considering it a thing, like Tim and Eric is a thing. That Tim and Eric.com. You guys became a thing. Yeah. And do you remember when that show premiered? I do. Well, I do remember. I think we had a, little premiere event at uh, this theater that doesn't exist anymore in LA called the silent movie theater where it does exist, but nothing's happening there. And there was obviously no sound. So that didn't really, uh, <laughs> no, I remember like it was cause it was cause Bob was a very big champion of it right away. Uh, and it, it was like one of the first things he kind of produced. So he had a lot of his comedy pals there and, and I was really uncomfortable with it because it was not, you know, it was still like uh, figuring. We were still figuring it out. Um, you got Jack Black. Well, Jack Black was the first. Um, you know, the big lesson from Bob. One of the many lessons from Bob. But you know, even before Adult Swim came in, he's like, "You've got to get somebody, you know, like me." But you got to get some people that that are famous or at least are known to do to get in your stuff, so people will see it. You know, because otherwise, no one's going to check it out. What? what- why is that, do you think? Just because people will trust the the piece if there's somebody in it that they 
trust well, comedically. I think even simpler than that is like, oh, I like uh, Jack Black. I want to see as much of him as I can. I'll see him in, in all sorts of things. So they're going to see it for him. And if they kind of get swept into what we're doing, that is all the better. But the for, even before Jack Black, we made another Tom Goes to the Mayor, and da- and Bob got David Cross to do a voice for this this second Tom Goes to the Mayor short, and that, you know, that we applied that lesson to the first few first several episodes of Tom Goes to the Mayor of just trying to recruit some of Bob's famous friends to come in, and do a voice, and and Jack was. We had the other thir- the third little rail in this. Not that a well, third rail is always sort of a negative thing. It's like yeah, well, you don't touch the third, third stool stem. The, the third leg of this was Dan Harmon and Rob Schraub, who we had also randomly contacted because they had made this Heat Vision and Jack pilot that we were all watching. To, you know, I don't know how we got a copy of it, but we were obsessed with that. We found out that they were doing these short film festivals in L.A. And so we submitted uh, some some shorts for that and beca- got, kind of got into their world, this Channel 101 world. And Jack saw those really early on because he was friends with Dan. And so I, even when I was still living in New York, I remember going to this uh, Saturday Night Live after party because randomly I had a friend who worked on the show. It was like not connected to comedy in, in, in any way. But Jack Black was there and he like came up to me and, you know, this is before Tom Goes to the Mayor was even on the air and all that stuff. And he was like, I'm such a fan. I saw your 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 short that you did with Dan and Rob. And, and it was very strange because he was already kind of a big deal by then. Wow. Jack Black. 30 episodes of Tom Goes to the Mayor. Two seasons. Two seasons. Yeah. And uh, polarizing. Yeah. Right away. Instantly. Instantly, love hate. It created the fan base, which was sort of we had a little fan base from from our website, I guess. But it created a fan base that well, many of them are still with us today. Um, and uh, but yes, right away it created a lot of uh, anger towards us from the Adult Swim community, which yeah. continues to this day as well. Do you feel like? The Adult Swim community that had already been established rejected it in some ways because it was different, or wh- why was it polarizing? Well, I mean, it's a weird show that is not easy to watch because of the way that the animation works, um, and it's kind of subtle and weird, and um, I, I totally fully accept and understand that um, it's not going to be for everybody. But it is a weird thing to like put something out into the world and then find out that there's this place. And this is kind of before, I think really before Reddit and before like 4chan and all those places. But there was like the Adult Swim message board where we saw for the first time that there was this group of people that were so, at least online, so negative and so angry and, and sort of sick in their in the way that they uh, displayed their displeasure and things like the sort of early shit posting of like that these guys should die of AIDS and that these, you know, F words and um, just n- nasty personal stuff about me and Eric right away. Actively angry, about- actively angry. <clears throat> uh, yes. That you, you know, you see now all over the place, but I don't know if like, I guess that was around. You started for that. a while, but we pioneered that. So how did that feel? The mixed feeling, I'd imagine, of having a new show yeah. out of nowhere, kind of, and have 
people talking shit about it at the same time. I think there was um, part of us where we were young and we were feeling very um, confident in our ideas and confident in the team that we had. We had Jonathan Kreisel and Doug Lusenhop and, you know, a couple other people, Ben Berman and some people that were, I don't think Ben was there yet, but some people that um, we really liked and we were really gelling with creatively and we were we were digging the work and we were very excited to just move to LA and make and have an, our own office and, you know, have people working for us and making stuff. And we were really excited by that, but there was also a really hard show to make create uh, technically, believe it or not. It was like, because we kind of had to learn how to make it on our own with a lot of help from Jonathan Kreisel, uh, the editor um, who kind of, sort of co-directed it with us in a way because he was building a lot of the worlds and so that was most of i think our energy was there and then then when the show came i mean a lot of that happened before the show came out because obviously you make a lot of it before um and but that but then adult swim was you know lazo was was and you as sort of our direct contact there was were very always very supportive of it and 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 thought it was funny up to a point and then i think by the time we were in the second season, I think we all recognized that it kind of lost its way a little bit or gotten too wacky or something and couldn't figure out how to make it better, make it fix it or something. But what the, the encouraging thing was that adult swim, you know, mostly Mike and, and you were like, you know, we love you guys and we love your sense of humor. So let's, let's like, end this and come up with something else. Let's try something else, you know, keep making stuff. Let's figure out something else to do. And that spirit was very encouraging. Cause you guys had built a machine that makes stuff. Uh, and I'll never forget. I think the funniest thing on Tom goes to the mayor was Burnsing. Burnsing. And to me that stood out, um, hmm. because it was not animated. Oh yes, so we, like we and we we started leaning more and more in Tom goes the mayor to just shooting commercials or shooting live action moments from the show. The married news team I think started showing up there, and we were obviously I mean animation is like not something Eric and I ever really started doing. You know, we never that's not how we started. We didn't have a passion for cartoons. Um, we didn't, you know, it wasn't we felt a little out of place doing it that way. It was a nice entrance. It was a nice way to learn how to like make a TV show, I guess. Um, but it wasn't like our passion. Our passion was like make, was making films and shorts and, and, and live action stuff. So we leaned that way. And while we were doing Tom goes the mayor towards the end, we started making this video podcast, the Tim and Eric podcast, which was basically like a proto uh, version of awesome show, which is very like us, hosting a little sketch show with little scenes and so that we were always trying to find ways to cram live action stuff into that show and and, and putting stuff out there into the internet so in some ways you were sort of reluctantly doing an animated show and we, then, then that f- organically fell away yes yeah i mean we learned like i said we learned a lot about how to make a t- any t- any kind of tv how to ha- how to staff people and how to how to have employees and all that kind of stuff and and even how to tell stories in in a, in a you know learning how to tell little stories uh which bob helped out with a lot 
And so you had the mechanics of how to make a show, how to deliver a show, how to create and how to deal with the network, Mm -hmm. you know, how to just kind of the business, the the building, the business side. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that primed us up for awesome show. What was Bob's role at the beginning of awesome show? Um, I think it was, I don't really remember. I think it was a lot of, um, talking about what we wanted the show to be. I think actually, you know, we had, we had some problems coming up with a name for it, you know? And, yeah. and he helped oh, us. Uh, it, one I was, remember one of them. One was let's have fun again. Let's have fun again. And because that came out of this idea of the ending, the last few episodes of Tom goes to the mayor got really dark. And yes, of course, really dark. Awesome show would go very dark as well. But there was a feeling in our office of like, let's just have fun again. Let's do s- silly things. Let's be silly and um, not, not talk about sons, you know, or hit Tom's sons killing themselves or being, or Tom's suicide or something. So, but yeah, we were like, that's that. I think you guys didn't like it. And Lazo was like, find a different title. And, and we went out to lunch with Bob and, and we started playing around with great job and awesome show. And where did great job come from? I think it was just that conversation. We wrote it on a napkin and, it was so ridiculous to to include that. I think it just made us laugh, and it never went away. It was maybe pres- thought of originally as a, as just a temporary joke that we enjoyed, but then we kind of got addicted to it. People are always writing things on napkins. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it might have been an envelope. Back of an envelope. <laughs> um, Eric probably has that. He, he's good at saving stuff like that. When did you know that Awesome Show was going to be as significant as it is currently perceived to be? <laughs> I don't know that yet. You don't I mean, think? I know, I know now that people consider it, I mean, it, you know, it, it's, I guess, influential or, uh, and, and it gets, it, there's so much, we made so many of them. I mean, not that many, we made 50 of them, I guess, um, that there's lots of bits that get used in all sorts of out-of-context ways. Was it hard to start it up coming out, or was it so, such a relief to um, not have to be saddled with the animation? No, that that first season was tough, too, because, you know, we, we don't, we're not guys that have, like, a ton of ideas, and we don't, and we're very picky with the ideas, and so we started with, like, a really... I think this is true about like bands. They always like their first album is like every song they've ever written. And then they're done with that. And then they have to come up with a bunch of more, bunch more songs, you know? So you got all um, your ideas out. So the all these episode. old ideas were like sitting on a document somewhere for years. And we were like thinking, how are we going to reuse these? And how are we going to like improve them? And because and, this is all we have, this is all we have. And we did some writing meetings and stuff and, and, and filled it in with as much as we could, and then like shot some stuff. Some stuff didn't work. We, you know, it was a little, it was again learning what the show was, not really getting, not not hitting all the time, and and then like I remember in the first couple episodes, it might be the I don't know I've I don't watch the show. I've never watched the show. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I, early on there was a scene where like we're in this hallway and we're like trying to come up with ideas and we're like freaking out. You know, like, and we, Eric starts doing some weird dance and in the hallway, and that was really like I think shot 
while we were editing one of the episodes and being like, we should just go in the hallway and shoot something like we should, we could, we, the, you know, we had created a system where we had this small office with funny young people and digital cameras and digital everything. So you could literally go outside and shoot something after you'd edited an episode and you know, you, everything was so malleable and flexible that you could just take a sketch and throw it upside down and recut it and throw it away and to use one second of it, you know, that kind of thing. So we were discovering that that was the key to the show was to not, not be precious about anything and not, uh, and just like make the show in the editing room as opposed to like this sketch, then that sketch, then that sketch. So that took a little bit of time to figure that out, how that would actually work. So you work. would find stuff. You wouldn't necessarily write stuff. You would find stuff. Yeah. I mean, it would be a mix. There are certainly a lot of written ideas and commercials and, you know, scenes and stuff that all were not just kind of improvised. They were written and and talked about and planned. But then... Um, but the, but you know the the show was not always about that. It was more about like how you could find stuff in the editing and how and certain John and Doug would make little animations. They'd make the where's my chippy thing, and they would make little um, kind of Terry Gilliam ish, if you know, to, to compare it to Monty Python, to these little kind of uh, segues that help define the tone of the show. Tell us about the editing. So maybe. Um people who don't know a lot about how the shows are made. Mm -hmm. I mean, Chrysal and, uh, and Doug pound. Yeah. And this uh, guy, Chris McDee, who we brought, who was an animator, um, on Tom goes the mayor. Um, it's been, the style seems to be a house style that you have, or at least for that show has been, you know, imitated mm -hmm. and advertised, imitated. Yeah. Relentlessly. Well, there was some of it, and always some of it in our earliest stuff with with Eric. I think, like ma Eric always tells a story about me, him making a, a our cat film festival video and editing it, and there being he taped over this uh, this uh, ice skating uh, performance that he had filmed for some family, <laughs> and he he accidentally left in this jump cut from me in the cat film fest festival video to this. Uh, ice skating thing that's like a blip frame kind of uh and and uh he sent it to me being like i'm i still have some work to do on this and uh, obviously i'll take out that <laughs> and i was like no that's that's awesome i don't remember saying that he's always said that i said that so early in our stuff there's always been weird editing things and sort of our love of lo-fi um you know mistakes and, and unintentional errors and um, bad local production. And so there's some of that. And then Doug and, and Jonathan found other ways. And there were other people making stuff at the time. And not enough credit goes to um, Derek Beckles, who did uh, the TV Carnage stuff that were these great uh, DVDs of found footage that he would re-edit and recontextualize. And, and there was another video art group guy, a group of guys called Animal Farm, I think sort of more more on the art scene but we were doug was friends with them and and so and then but doug would do these weird little editing final cut pro tricks where he would just kind of um sort of cycle back and forth and make things loop and find little sound things and 
you know, that a lot of that was him and, and then us kind of being in there and like pushing him to do more of that and, you know, really like getting excited when something made us laugh and saying, how can we do more of that? How can we write so that those things happen more often? And, you know, feeding that. Yeah. Do you, when you see that sort of replicated in the world, does that piss you off? Uh, I'm taking my sweatshirt off. I'm getting hot just being in the same room with you. Yeah. Um, common. I mean, no, I just, it's, I don't Flattering? get too, I don't get, I don't think about it too you much. Care. You know, I don't like if something's just like a total steal. Yeah. But, um, you know, I get that these ad guys are all like 27 years old, <laughs> 27 yeah. years old and, uh, grew up watching it. They like and, it. You know, talk about the, uh, the uh, actors, or the, mm. I'm sorry, the performers, the people? Yeah. Well, Eric and I, one of the one of our sort of uh, laws of the show um, was to not make it a sketch show that we had seen before, which featured other funny people playing old men. You know, that was our big, like the Saturday Night Live move of having a troupe and having wigs and, um, you know... If we were like going to have somebody be uh, like an old man, we would just want to get an old man. And we soon found that we we've always loved, you know, Andy Kaufman did this a lot, and I mean, you know, Woody Allen did it a lot, I think. And I mean, a lot of people just found really interesting um, characters uh, that weren't necessarily like actors with a capital A. They were just kind of personalities, or they just had great faces, or great natural deliveries and we um we wanted to do in the cohen brothers i mean you know i i think there's like a tradition of casting outsider types into into parts that feel make it feel more real and more genuine and you know we we definitely found some weird people and um we uh we felt like and you know letterman with uh what's his name calvert DeForest. Whose whose name on the show Larry was Bud Larry Bud Melman? Yeah, yeah you know. <laughs> so we grew up with all that stuff um, and found you know some real strange types. And certainly in Los Angeles, that's not hard if you're looking for it. And you know, we just wanted to we wanted to create like a a very weird, insane, surreal place throughout the whole show. You know, one another not to keep ragging on Saturday Night Live, but this idea that there would be this cool band playing and then, and they, this guy playing the blues starts the show with the cool actors, yeah. you know, and, and then it's like, station. and now the, sh now the comedy begins after all this cool stuff. Um, we just wanted the whole immersive experience to be wild. And, you know, we, um, yeah, we just brought in weirdos from the street and, and sometimes it would just be like, you know, guys who weren't um, the best actors or the, you know, but, but who had put in a headshot who were, and we just wanted to play with like bad acting and bad performances and weirdos that, and stuff. Did that backfire ever? Did they know that they were being uh, included because they're bad? No, I think most of the, ex I mean, I... There's been one case out of all the work we've done where I think somebody wrote us being like, I don't like the way I was portrayed. And it was not somebody I really, that didn't even, yeah. <laughs> it was not a big deal. You know, it was like, 
dude, you know, but I don't know what you what you want me to say. We, we we wrote this thing, and you were you were you were you agreed to do it, and you do look ridiculous in it, you know. <laughs> but so do I. Like I'm nobody looks more ridiculous in that yeah. show than me. Yeah, so, I've seen your nipples more than yeah, any man. Yeah, that's my choice. It's everybody's choice, and every, but mo but everybody else. I mean, over the, all the years, people. That all those all those people from that show are always calling our producer, being like, "What's going on? When's the next time? When are you shooting again?" You know, I would love to be. And they get they have their own fans, and they have, you know, and our audience is always really nice to. to they everybody. didn't feel exploited. So, they felt they want to do. No, more. it was a job. I mean, it's an acting job, mm-hmm. and it you know it was all explained, and there was no hidden cameras or anything like that. It was like you know, here's the bit. Um, and whether they know that they're not good at what they're doing in a traditional sense, I don't really know. I think they're just they, you know, we the the environment is always pretty fun and and positive, and um, you know, I I think most people have a good sense of humor about themselves, and uh, and if they feel like they're they're being made fun of because of how they perform or how they look or something, you know, I think. If you're in this business, you have to get over that, um, or and don't do it again. How did John C. Riley get involved? Um, we were in the second season of Tom Goes to the Mayor, and we reached out to him to play a part. Uh, my friend, I think, in an episode, my best friend or something, uh, Tom's best friend, and I just so happened to have um, went to this uh, birthday party for this guy Ron Lynch. Who was a comedy L.A. mainstay guy? Bernstein. Who was a voice? Yeah, he was the voice of one of the city council members on Tom Goes to the Mayor. Anyways, he um, was also friends with John, and I met I met John there at that party. I introduced myself. He said, "Hey, we sent you a script uh, for our show, Tom Goes to the Mayor," and um, and he goes, "Oh yeah, that was really funny. I usually don't. I usually don't think comedy scripts are funny." <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, I've been getting a lot of them, and they're not—they don't make me laugh. But and so he said, "I'll come in and do it." What the hell? And he came in, and he came in and saw the world—the little office that we had, which had all these hipsters and running around in hoodies, and you know, they looked like everybody looked like they were in in a in a band or something. And he was just like, "Who, who, you know, what is this? Like, who, where, who's in charge? You know?" And we're like, "We're in charge," and. He's like, wow, you know, and I think we were starting because it was the end of that it was one of the last episodes we were doing. And so we were starting to write awesome show and think about that. And uh, we had some ideas up on the board and he's like, what's this? What are these ideas? And so what's the next sketch show we're doing? He's like, well, I want to be in that. And I want, you know, he, had, we just got along pretty much right away and he wanted to be kind of, he comes from like the actors gang uh, theater um, which is, and, and other theater, like he comes from like a very, um, like the, the joy of perform, the joy of acting and the joy of, uh, like being, uh, just doing it as an art I, form, you know, or whatever. And we, what, what we were doing in that space was like the furthest thing from probably some of the Hollywood style, uh, industry kind of work that he was unpolished, involved. unpolished, um, sort of anarchistic and and uh yeah so so he did he dug it all what a specific character how does that character come about with 
Brule? Yeah, Brule. How does Steve Brule come around? Sweet you know, it wine. came right away. Well, it came right away, but then, as you know, it it evolved and devolved over the years. So it was like he had the green suit. He had the name. He he had this like name Brule that he had been talk had since you know when he was a kid or something like. It was like a joke amongst his friends. And we were doing the married news and they were already in the show in the world. And he said, I should be like a correspondent on the show. And we said, totally, let's come up with some ideas for you. And we wrote some ideas and we shot like a ton of them in one day. And it was funny right away. So you had the confidence you could direct him? Yeah, we always had that. But I mean, we pretty much always had that for some reason. I think like we learned with working with Jack Black, um, you know, most people are pretty cool, and you you feed off of that. And they, with Eric and I, both kind of bouncing off each other, we can um, we can handle it. And you and like you know, we, the, one of the first people we had come in was Jeff Goldblum, and he's a total like childhood icon of ours, you know. Sure. And but within like a second, you're, he's just a guy. Once you're in the room with a person like that, he's a guy, and he's good at making you feel kind of comfortable and just being nice. And then you just kind of play and get to work and you forget about the fact that he's the guy from the fly and you just kind of have an, you know, seemingly normal little bit of work together. Did you have people who didn't fit in well with you on awesome show? One-offs. Um, we were pretty careful about who we went out to. We didn't rush out to every comedian we thought we could get on. So we usually brought in people we thought would work well. I mean, I'd imagine obviously the people you see come back over time are the ones that we got along good yeah. with. There are a few one-offs that, you know, we're like, okay, that was cool. Don't need to explore any more of that. <laughs> but I don't really remember. I mean, the only bad, bad, bad experience we had really was with Gary Busey, which he did a voice on. Tom goes to the mayor and you know, I've shown this footage over the years, a few places, but there's footage of him in our office where he's just a terrorist, a human, <laughs> you know, like a nightmare, a, a full day of not a full, you know, like a full afternoon of just being fully terrorized by a complete lunatic, yeah, wow. which was not fun. And I think now if that would have happened, I would have just, you know, left or I would just ask him to leave and not worried about getting Gary wow. Busey. But at the time we were so nervous about like blowing this money on one guy. And, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was very intimidating and upsetting. But ever since then, I don't think there's any been, ever been anybody that was just like, Oh my God. And then a movie comes around and how does the movie affect your, your what, life? What movie? Billion dollar movie. Oh, well, you know, it was, we had, we Your were, first movie. Yeah, first movie. Uh, I was, we were uh, winding, we were also winding Awesome Show down at the time because we just felt like, well, we had made five seasons of this and we felt a little drained by the pace of it and whether we could, wanted to do more of that show. And, um, you know, our agent and people like that were kind of like, you know, Funny or Die or Gary Sanchez, which is Will Ferrell and Adam McKay's company, they're interested in producing movies if you guys have any movie ideas they'd love to hear them and so then you're you know eric especially and me were like it's always that's our real dream that's why we went, you know we went to film schools to make movies you know movies are the best so <laughs> fuck this adult swim bullshit yeah. 
So uh, it started there just being like, you know, let's go in and talk about what kind of movie we could make if if we had any ideas. And we sat with Adam McKay and a couple other guys there and sort of talked about how our sensibility would work in a movie. And it sort of started there. We went off and wrote and wrote and just kind of came up with this story. Um, and over time, we went out, found a person to pay for it. And off we went to make it. And it was... Again, another very hard thing to do. <laughs> um, very uh, stressful, and um, but but fun and satisfying, and again something that was very polarizing. We were always think Eric and I was talking. We we're talking about this a little while ago. Like, I think we went into that being like, "Hey, we maybe we'll make like a real popular movie. You know, <laughs> maybe we'll make like yeah. this will be the thing that breaks us into the wide the mainstream." You know. But it seems like, you know, maybe we would be able to do that now, but still, we were still so like nuts and, and sort of aggressively, uh, you know, kind of interested in blowing it all up and trying to just completely be our own animals that we uh, made something that's very crazy again. about the tours that you guys had because you guys had a lot of tours and they yeah. reached a lot of people especially you mentioned that you would go to towns that were so grateful that you would show up in these sort of less well-known towns. well well chosen words your well-known hedging. towns um eric and i i mean eric more than me but we we both played in bands and there was always the idea of touring um and and getting out there and selling your stuff to people directly, you know, literally and, and figuratively like getting in front of people. And, um, and we pitched it to adult swim as a, uh, a good, um, a good way to, to promote the show as it was coming out. And, um, it kind of like would get the show. I mean, cause you know, local papers aren't going to write about the show being on TV, but they will, if you're in their town that weekend, so that that was the idea. We didn't. We weren't like we weren't. Stand, I mean, obviously, we didn't invent the concept of performing live as a, as comedians. Or no, whatever. but to take a but, TV show, yeah, um, to a to a town and then enhance that with a live performance seemed yeah new to me. I mean, I think probably Monty Python did live shows, but I mean, I mean, yeah, it seemed smart to like use some. Uh, some of the promotional budget that existed for the show to, to go out there and, and do something more than just sort of like a signing or an appearance, but put on like a fun rock show. I mean, David Cross was doing that, I think, a few years before with his stand-up, which was to bring stand-up into rock clubs and, and not just comedy clubs and make it kind of a, a less of a suit and tie or like, just like a less of a kind of a bummer of a night, like just make it a more fun thing. And we just sort of said, let's put together a show that is dumb and loud and, and funny and, uh, and then show some clips so that we can change costumes. You know, that was kind of, kind of, and we had to have something to break up the night to, to, uh, get, go into our different looks or different sketches. So yeah, it was, um, it started pretty small, like doing 200, 300 seat, or you know, little rock clubs and figuring out what worked. And you did the um, Troubadour in L.A. You know, yeah, Elton John's first show. That's right. 
and then you guys doing the muscles for bone benefit (laughs) for Richard Dunn. And it was, it was filled to capacity and the crowd, it blew me away how enthusiastic the crowd was and knew every single word to every, you know, crazy song that you guys had. It was a real, it struck me that this, these guys have a deep fan base. They're very strong. And, um, I don't know. I mean, they're, so we're here doing this on cinema show tonight. That's why you're here. That's why I'm in Atlanta. Yeah. And they're, they're a similar group of people. They, we do these, sh- these shows, they know all the references. They, and they're, they're very grateful and, and, um, very nice people. And I like I like many of them. So 10 plus years later, you're doing on cinema. Mm-hmm. Talk about the genesis of on cinema. Um, well, it started, Greg and I were doing a movie called The Comedy. Um, we were both in this movie called The Comedy. Um, and we were, we were, as you, as when you're in a, and this is a little movie, but on any movie, you're, you're, as an actor, you're always kind of sitting around and waiting for the cameras and stuff. And um, there was this period of time where there was a lot of pod, I think Mark Maron's podcast had come out. And there's a lot of like comedians making podcasts. And a lot of it was kind of, bloviating uh i don't know just kind of self-important talking about stuff and we thought we would we should do something to satirize that and somehow it's like let's do something about movies we could just we could take the movie ghostbusters and and we don't know anything about ghostbusters but let's talk about it for five minutes it would just the most you know most the broadest kind of ideas about it. it's a great movie yeah it, it it had a lot of scary parts and you know <laughs> and it was funny too and you know and bill murray of course is great and you know and then that was it that was the show and so we were we just thought that was hilarious and we did like let's do just a bunch of these and as we started doing more these characters started coming up out of it which were kind of natural they kind of naturally happened where I became a little more aggressive and a little more alpha and demented in my own way. And Greg became more of this kind of pure student or pure sort of film buff who only wanted to talk about movies. And I only, only wanted to talk about myself and, and we had done a bunch of the podcast and it was very underground. And I don't know, like just the, the hardest of hardcore on cinema fans, I mean, uh, awesome, Tim and Eric fans kind of dug it. Nobody was really paying attention to it that much. But the Joe Randazzo, who was the, who used to run the the Onion, was given a bunch of money, or he wasn't, but he sort of was charged with starting this thing called Thing X by Adult Swim, right? Right. And it was this sort of f- f- weird uh, v- website where they were going to make a bunch of content and. Uh, sort of like a super deluxe you guys have had a tremendous history of trying to develop other sites alongside adults you guys well i mean not me no i know but i'm saying like the turn or whatever it was like <laughs> right and i we were always saying from the beginning i mean we were in there at the beginning of the first super deluxe and the second super deluxe and it's like <laughs> but you guys already have adultswim.com why don't you just put everything on there like, here, we the <laughs> here we are so but anyways joe was looking for stuff to do and he said I love this on cinema podcast. You guys should think about doing it as like a video, like, like Siskel and Ebert. It was very, you know, it was clear that like there was a model for doing like at the movies with Siskel and Ebert kind of show. So we started doing it and then it just, by doing the first season, we 
started building more and more of the characters and, and the backstories and introducing little side things. And, you know, it was so easy to shoot because it was just three cameras and two guys sitting that you, you could sort of talk about things that were happening in their lives without having to see them happen. And that became kind of this, like this entryway into telling bigger, more elaborate soap opera stories that, you know, we could just talk about and the fans could imagine and also talk about on their own. And it, it grew from there. So this field full of little seeds and let them grow organically. Yeah. I mean, we, after a few seasons of it, I think we took it a little more seriously about, okay, where can this go? Who can, what, what are some, you know, uh, what, what are some storylines that we could take these characters and, and it, we, 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 realized that we were kind of building a world or as they say now in this business a universe right. it used to be a world now it's a universe but it was um it you know it, it compounded on itself and the more we added to it the, the the richer it could become and and then decker kind of everything starts small like decker starts as this this one episode where i'm like i, I went and shot i'm gonna make my own movie forget these movies that i'm reviewing i'm gonna make my own movie and we just shot something on green screen and and we're like ooh that's fun let's do let's figure out ways to do more of that and so you know you just like when something when everyone starts like digging on something you figure out how to do more of that do it better do it bigger so from on cinema has uh decker has yeah. sprung out of that mhm of the band dakar you mean <laughs> the tv show decker the band dakar and the ED, the EDM group DKR. The EDM group DKR. <laughs> the trial. The trial, baby. Yeah. The trial, I think, surprised people. Some people think it's the best thing I've ever done. Yeah. I might agree with you. but Really? Um, I don't know. Be, well, I don't know. I mean, the I'm, trial I is to people cares? who don't know what is it. Who cares? Um, in the show, in the, uh, in the on-cinema show, my character... Um, in like the ninth or eighth, I guess ninth season, uh, became addicted to this vape, uh, this this vape uh, medicine that he had developed with this other guy, Doctor San, and he also got into this EDM world, and he started a big uh, EDM music festival in the desert, and gave out a bunch of free vape pens, and um, um, all these kids died at the festival from the vape pens. You know? So, so this is a very you know, funny premise. Really, I was arrested. <laughs> I was arrested. I got you know, uh, and that was like the storyline of that season. So we we didn't know where to take it from there. We said, well, this. I mean, we always go like, well, how where where can this go? Like we've just. So you don't all. I mean, we don't I have know, a big I know the grand, answer. You don't we, know where we don't know where things are going season to season, really. But we just kind of follow our our noses, I guess, and talk about it a little bit. But um, we have some some ideas about where it might eventually go and all that stuff. But um, but so we said, well, it would be fun to, like, shoot the trial. You know, it really just starts like that. And, and once we decided that's what we would do, um, then you sort of sit down and figure out, okay, how can this be the best version of that possible? <laughs> you know, like what – if we're going to spend a lot of time doing this, like – how can we get it because re- we didn't want to do a you know in this world everything has to feel pretty real or it just falls apart and it has you know? to make sense with what you've already established yeah so once we started talking about it we said well it should be sort of like the OJ trial it should feel like you know it's C- not C-SPAN or like court TV you know right away we're like okay good that's that seems and we were all kind of like 
it seems kind of easy to do if you, if you, from a production standpoint, you know, you just need to find a, a, a courtroom and hire a few people and get the cameras set up and then just shoot away and do it a few times. And then you kind of, you should kind of have it. And if we, you know, then we just sort of wrote it. We kind of wrote what my, you know, we wrote like we wanted uh, me to have a lawyer for the beginning and then for me to fire the lawyer and for me to take over. And, and, you know, it all kind of, then we're like, oh, then we can kind of um, litigate the entire show through this. Like we can go through all the relationships and we could go through my relationship with Greg and Mark and Ayaka and like really make it this like almost if we wanted it to be the end of the the show, it is almost like I think Seinfeld did that when they had at the end of yeah. the show, they had yours a trial. Was, <laughs> yours was longer. Yeah. Mine was, so we said, well, but the one thing we really want to do is not just, we want to feel it to feel real. Therefore it has to be long because you're not going to just, what's the point to just show like highlights of this? Like, let's just, if you're, if we're all there and we get all these people, it's not that it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, you know, balloon things that much to just, to just go through as much of the real time process as possible. And the, we felt like the fans would appreciate that and watch it because also people watch hours and hours and hours of fucking everything how long was i mean well it was five hours i think but it's not something there's like a thousand hours of fucking game of thrones that people watch in a weekend (laughs) or those those murder podcasts that people plow through hours and hours of them you know there was the staircase which i love the the documentary series that was six hours and it's like if if something is compelling we feel like it doesn't matter how long it is and also the fact that this was just going to go up on the internet anyways. It's like, who cares how long it is? Let it be however long it should be. Um, and you guys were pretty cool about that. I think there was the idea of like, we'll make some highlights. You can watch like condensed versions. But I just kept saying, just just watch the whole thing. It pays off. Um, if you're going to do it, I mean, you can't do it on TV. So yeah, do the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, what's the difference with TV versus the website? Yeah. I mean, it's just like... Things things are now just all unraveling where it's like, well, be be however long you want it to be. But whatever is working for you to tell the story or, you know, it's a good storytelling device, the trial, that you can tell a story through, you know, questions and answers. And, you know, it's kind of what a trial is, a real trial is supposed to be. You're supposed to kind of explain how something happened. So it was a good device for us. So you're here uh, on tour with On Cinema Live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so what's what's next for On Cinema? Or what's next for you? You're an, uh, I'm sorry, major m- movie star. Oh, I'm a, I'm a small part in the movie Us. You're yeah. not a small part. Well, <laughs> you actually play two parts. No spoiler alert, but you're in it twice. I don't know. It's I never know what's next. Everything just kind of either... F- Nothing happens or things fall in my lap. I got an album coming out in June of my music, um, serious, semi-serious songs that I like writing and making. How so many albums coming. do you have out now? Well, we can look at my discography on Wikipedia, right. but it's we got Yellow River Boys. We have two Heidecker and Wood records. We've got uh, a Trump, the uh, Too Dumb for Suicide songs about Donald Trump, and then the follow-up EP called Another Year in Hell in Glendale. And then the songs of Herman Cain, the Cainthology. Cain Train. And so there's about seven. This will be eight. And then there's the Awesome Show songs that that we've had one volume one come out, and there's a volume two that's been ten years sitting. That's in a the great closet. album. 
That is well, a the funny second album. the second volume is going to be great too because it's got all the songs from Has like it not the second. Been released? No, it's, it's just it. it's been sitting up. Oh, please, I've been begging. Who, you haven't been be- who you been begging? I, well, this was years ago where all I right. said like, here's the tracks. We just need like a little money to like master them or something. Right. But um, <sighs> how do you reconcile before we end your polarizing comedy with your polarizing politics? How do you how do you do you tra- do does it bother you when some of your fans turn on you, or do you win people over? I don't over consider by- them fans if they've turned on me. Mm-hmm. They've never were fans. No, I don't know. I don't care. I mean, I you feel be yourself. I no mean, what. yeah. I mean, I just got to do what I feel I need to do, and uh, that's how how we've always done our. That's how we've we've never made anything for an audience. We've made stuff for ourselves and been grateful that people like it, but. We're not we're we're not like um oh are they gonna like this or not or is, is what what can we do to make our audience happy you know I mean we do that I guess in a way with touring and I mean we charge a lot of money but we don't you know we charge <laughs> we're not doing it for free but you know we we care about our audience and I'm grateful that and I'm when people say nice things I'm very grateful and uh, happy but um. You know, I don't make decisions about what I say or what I do based on what I think people are going to. Well, presumably think. you say those things because you care about those also. Care about the things that you're fighting for. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm, I would never like silence or myself because I felt uh, that that would be risking losing an audience. If I lose an audience because of that, then, you know, I'll have to figure something else out to do. What's your next big Hollywood movie? Um, I'm going to be in the Goonies remake. I'm playing chunk. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm waiting for the phone to ring. All right. I got a sound check. Music from this episode is a song called When I Get Up from Tim Heidecker's album, What the Broken Hearted Do. Visit adultum.com for links to some of the things we were just talking about. And thanks for listening. When I get up, all I want to do is go to bed again. Go to